Hello, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Welcome to episode 31. My name is Ross. Hello. And it's time to put the kettle on because it's tea time. Just a little couple of special mentions to uh, Tom and Kirsty for their comments. Uh, we do like uh, hearing from you, so please do continue. Um, news is your turn to start. Is that right? Yes, it is. Um, a few pieces. Um, first of all, something that could be a really cool thing or a really bad thing. British engineers. That was loud. Yeah, that was a bad thing. Uh, smashed the table. <laughs> So British engineers are creating robots that breed. So okay. just put this in a context, for, for example, have you ever watched Stargate? Yes. Did you ever watch the latest series when they introduced a baddie called the Replicators, which is effectively self-replicating robots that wipe out everything? I can't say I no, I don't think I don't think I did. I've watched all okay. episodes. I can't say I followed it religiously. But that sure. sounds fun. Uh, yeah, so I am a fan of Stargate. So this is a, a warning that Stargate has had. It's a, it's a typical, you know, sci-fi premise that give robots the ability to breed and they will wipe us all out. So that's pretty much what we're doing right now in real life. Uh, British scientists have given robots the ability to self-clone, which allows them... Basically, we're using this to colonize new planets. So we would send these guys to Mars, um, send some raw materials. They'll build a few buddies and then do some stuff. Uh, we're going to give them full AI to be able to do this. And the premise of Stargate and the replicators, they only had one directive, and its directive was to replicate. So that seems done. That taken, that taken literally meant it replicated using any material available, like anything. Right. Uh, for forever. So hopefully we've built that up stuff into the AI to not do that. Rule number one, don't but, humans. Two, replicate as long as it doesn't chafe. Uh, and three, uh, don't use up more resources than you uh, were supposed to. Yeah, maybe the, th maybe the third would be hard to differentiate, but yeah, you know. Don't kill people and turn them into robots because flesh isn't very good. Um, next piece of news. Old Nissan Leaf batteries are now powering the robots that are used to make them. So that's quite a nice uh, right, circuitry yeah. usage of batteries. Because yeah. um, as you know, EV batteries um, entire life cycle can go beyond a vehicle. You know, we've heard of uh, Leaf batteries being used on uh, what was it, a little barge boat or a ferry? That's the one. It was a ferry. Um, they could be even, using all sorts of different things. Even on the storage on the outside of your house. Yeah. Because the um, yeah, so, the charge is slower. So it doesn't affect the battery as much after the after it's gone through its cycle of being a car. Demand is left. Yeah. So an EV battery's end of life is typically when you can no longer hold at least 80% of the charge. However, I mean, once you start passing 40% of the charge, you start getting rid of that car because its mileage has dropped significantly. However, that battery is perfectly good for a multitude of other things, like powering robots. So that's quite nice that batteries are being used that way. Recycled back into something that helps them. Uh, another piece of news, this is following on from the chat we had a couple of weeks back with the world without work. Uh, Spain is launching a trial of a four-day working week. Lazy. So, <laughs> well, there's lots of evidence to say a four-day working week is what we all should do now for mental health reasons um, and also productivity reasons. No. It's not to think, but no. studies suggest you are more productive working four days a week than five. Yeah, I'm sure they do. I mean... I'm not against the four day week, but I have a feeling that if you can work out whatever flaming statistics that you want, if you reduce it, oh no, yeah, no, we've proved it. Yeah, we've proved four day. Have you though? 
because at the end of the day, the people that achieve the most, are the people that work the hardest, and they work the most hours at the end of the day. So actually, no, being productive is all about what's up here, not what's going on down here. I would disagree. People who work the hardest are not the smartest. People who work the smartest are the hardest. So basically, work smart, not hard. Four-day work weeks, so you can but, get your shit done, get your shit done. But you can work smart and hard, can't you? So that argument doesn't really work. Yes, is it better to work hard badly or is it better to work not as hard but smart? Obviously, the second one. But you can be smart and then you could also work really, really hard. If you are particularly inspired to do something, because up here, it's all about so it's about that person's going to be more productive than someone who's working smart, not particularly hard, in a job it doesn't care about. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. And that's why it's about her mental health thing. If you hate your job, then yeah, of course you should work a four-day week. If you love your job, work seven days, it's fine. Until you need a break. <laughs> Potentially. We'll, we'll see how this pans out. But the four-day working week has been... Um... It's been promoted in Scandinavian countries primarily. Um, it's been around for some time. And this is finally going to get a proper trial run in a different country that isn't Scandinavia to see how this would work. So the idea is that um, it'll become a 30-hour working week instead of 40 hours. And yeah, they haven't decided yet how they're going to run the trial or how many people will be involved, but they are looking for a modest pilot project so, you know, it hoped for a few thousand people to yeah. really give this a good go. So, yeah, let's see how that goes. Um, it's nice I to see the, the end, Spanish though, government. I bet they do the feedback form at the end. I bet they all love it. But if you listen to the research, the average office worker only works two and a half hours a day productive time. The other five and a half is, you know, not used. So if you just then have that person be more productive, an extra 40 minutes a day, they can take an entire day off the week and it would be exactly the same. So that's the idea. All right. Um, yeah, so next piece of news. India is banning ownership of cryptocurrencies. Now, have you seen this? Mm, yes. So that this did spike Bitcoin prices go downward a little bit. I wouldn't say a lot. It was at the all-time high of 43,000 pounds Mm. brought it back down to about 40,000 pounds and people sort of, mm, what's this mean type of thing? Yeah. But it's already coming back up. So is it not really a big deal that India's doing this? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so reason for it. They weren't just trying to affect the Bitcoin, right? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, they're, they're looking to ban cryptocurrencies uh, involved in trading or assets. Uh, they are looking to find people who actually have them. Um, the bill would ultimately criminalize possession, in issuance, mining, trading, and transferring of crypto assets. You can't even transfer them. So basically, if you are uh, if you have a lot of Bitcoin, you are definitely leaving India right now. And the one reason they have behind this is apparently lack of regulation. They can't regulate it, therefore they're afraid by it. Let's for ban it. Um, and experts are already saying due, due to high volatility. In terms of value, um, financial disasters are prevalent. Well, as is, you know, with all stock trading or whatever. Thanks. Yeah, basically, we can't regulate it, so we're going to ban it. That's India's policy, seemingly. Well done, India. Brilliant. Yeah, we're afraid, we're afraid of this. Let's not do it anymore. Okay. Um, next piece of news, back to the UK. Uh, so UK government is to spend £20 million funding electric vehicle innovations. Okay. So that's quite cool. So this apparently is part of the government's um, commitment to end in the sale of petrol and diesel cars by 2030. And yes, it's all coming from the Department of Transport, which now has a new research and development arm where this investment goes. And it's looking to make the UK a world leader in electric vehicle design and production. So we've always talked about this potential gigafactory down in the south. Oh, yes. I mean, if we were going to become a world leader, there's people yeah. like Tesla we want to start attracting. So, I mean, £20 million, pounds, not a lot of money, perhaps, but that's mm -hmm. enough to, it to sounds build a, a gigafactory, hopefully. Could you build a gigafactory with that? Or could you at least 
you know, buy the land, I suppose, and give it to Tesla for free. I can't remember. There is um, uh, Tesla released basically how much it cost. I got a feeling it was, I can't remember, but I got a feeling it was like a, it was like a billion per factory. Oh, okay. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, I, either way, I would just say, sorry, did you say 20 million? 20 million. Yeah. yeah. It sounds a lot, but I don't, in reality, I don't think it's very much. I mean, like if you look at the, um, the token market share of, of Tesla, then, you know, it's, it's nothing <laughs> basically. Well, nothing. yeah. I mean, they could, they could arguably buy the park and give it to Tesla for free. I mean, that'd be a couple of million perhaps. Um, whatever it is, it's all about helping the UK transition towards all new car vans production with zero emissions by 2035 as part of the government's build back greener policy. Yeah. So right now they have no ideas in mind of what they're going to do with this, but they are inviting companies and research across the country to pitch their ideas to the Department of Transport. Uh, they're looking for specifically for new charging technologies, zero emission vehicles, uh, even ways of making production and disposal processes greener than they currently are. So interesting things, stuff's happening. Not mm. a great deal of money, perhaps, but it's nice to see that people are thinking about this. I've said it before. I want the undercar wave technology. That's what I want research done in. Because I think that's a game changer. When you can put it in a parking space without having to do anything, you can just park on top of it. Now we can charge anywhere we go all the time. We don't need, even need proper chargers that do the fast ones. Not really. Because you can mm. put them in roads, you can put anywhere. That's what we need. Someone do that. Please. Please. There we are. If, if someone can figure it out, uh, go pitch the Department of uh, Transport for a chunk of that 20 million and make it a reality. I should give them all of it. <laughs> they might need all of it I mean this is only a 20 million to start I imagine, I mean if the project gets funded by the government, you know, maybe there's more money there who knows uh, and my final piece of news is back to Wales uh, the first minister of Wales Mark Drakeford has announced the creation of woodlands uh, to commemorate those who died in COVID-19 so did you know it has now been a year since this whole COVID-19 thing started in the UK I'm very uh, well. The, twi <clears throat> the 23rd of March is when we went into first lockdown, yep. uh, which is five five days away since we record this. And yeah, it's been a weird year. So in commemoration of the people who've lost their lives during the pandemic in Wales, and the fact that Wales has um, rolled out a successful vaccine program. So we're two weeks ahead of set, uh, schedule, which is pretty cool. Um, we're building one new woodland in the north, one new woodland in the south, and it's a symbol of Wales's resilience to the pandemic, but also a symbol of renewal, regrowth, etc. But either way, building two new woodlands is always a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, excuse, but I don't care. It's good. Yeah, that's all I have. Where we go this week, Russ? Ah, all right. Well, let's start with something weird, shall we? Um, so, because <laughs> I like a bit weird. Um, on the International Space Station, they have discovered some new bacteria. The scientists have. Um, and they believe that this bacteria will increase our chances of growing food and fuel on Mars. Now, I don't okay. understand the science behind it exactly, but from what I understand, the fact that that bacteria can grow in what would be described as a hostile environment because um, uh, normally it would require a lot more moisture and stuff for, for bacteria to grow and obviously you know other things in the in the air because um, uh, it doesn't have any of that stuff apparently that means that if you can get bacteria to grow then if they put that and they sort of put it into the so into soil of the um, of the Martian soil it will help to encourage plant growth which ultimately means that they can we can grow our own food and methane or whatever it is that we're going to use to get back. So who knew? Bit of bacteria, supposedly big important find. In other news, uh, and I may have reported on this before, but it has come back around again, somewhat like our Gigafactory news. Um, 
a Spanish company called Vortex and their bladeless turbine. Reported by oh, the... Oh, yes. Um, so it doesn't use the flow of wind. Um, and I, I, I watched this uh, YouTube video the other day about how someone who had just taken an, uh, the kind of fan that you could find in most um, cars, I believe, um, and basically just took some plastic pipe, cut it in a slightly weird sort of angle, to, or firstly kind of cut it in half and then cut it in a slightly weird angle that way, um, and then added these onto that fan and showed just how cheap and easy it is to make an electric fan operate or a, a wind turbine effectively to generate electricity current and he stood outside and he literally held it up and the thing was going so fast it did that backward effect on the camera um so that's how that all works obviously we all know that but um this one is basically like a it's was like a pole that vibrates like that so for those that are okay right basically it looks very what's the word um Phallic, is that the right word? Um, it looks like a dildo, basically. It looks like a vibrating thing. It just looks weird. Uh, and the way that it works is it oscillates to sort of match the... Uh, the uh, I don't know if you know anything about how air flows, but like it, it creates these sort of like weird um, shapes. When it hits an object, it kind of creates like a bit of a spiral off effect. Um, and it's capturing those, and it's using that to oscillate to that thing. And basically create that oscillation which generates electricity at the base of the oscillating pole so supposedly that generates current it didn't mention any numbers on the thing so i'm going to just project that it's going to be anywhere near as efficient as a wind turbine is um but interestingly they also mentioned that its ideal location was not on the top of a hill like you'd expect it's actually on the edge of motorways so they really are trying to capture turbulent air as opposed to fast flowing air, because clearly that's better for spinning turbines. Um, but obviously any technology that enables us to recapture, because if, if we're, especially at the moment while we're putting in fossil fuels to drive a car, car generates noise and it generates heat and it pushes wind out of the way. So um, if we can capture any of those things, then that's obviously good. So uh, even an electric car doing it, uh, if it's powered by the sun to make the car move, then we're at least capturing some of that flow of air off the car. Obviously, they're trying to improve the coefficient of the air, so that's going to become less of a thing, actually. But if they can recapture any of that, then obviously that's a good thing. So I think I could see these things. It, I'm, my, my worry is that it's going to be so expensive that it's going to make it not work. But imagine the technology came to be quite cheap. It was the sort of things that would line basically any transport thing you know, on the side, train tracks, roads, anything, basically. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you still got trucks, which are not really that aerodynamic because there's, you know, rectangles. No. no. So they're always going to be there. You're not going to get uh, much terror, are you, really? Let's be honest. That's the... Um, no, I mean, how much how much oscillation is there? Is it, is it a lot of play? I'm just thinking, could you, like, replace lampposts with these dildo things i mean and they're a bit like that so um, i don't know whether you would necessarily want to be i mean i suppose you could put a light on top of that on, on a gimbal or something so that it doesn't <laughs> but that's a rather expensive lamp post now the elon musk we haven't mentioned him yet um he is proposing and you know all about this but um he, he's proposing uh the uk come up with some rather basic uh steps to encourage the move towards electric vehicles um, and the way he's proposed to do that is to essentially tax the fossil fuelers and give that money to the electricers. It's not their technical names, but um, so first of all, to tax the sale of petrol and diesel cars. Uh, but then in addition to that, also to tax, put more tax on the fuel, um, fuel duty or whatever it's Americans call it what we call it, who cares? Um, taxing the petrol. Um, which makes complete sense. Um, I can see the first part being uh, something that could happen. So essentially they're saying, if you take that money, that allows you to give tax breaks on the on the electrical vehicles, maybe just taking the VAT off, for example. So yeah, yeah. 
taxing a new car makes perfect sense because why on earth are you buying a new petrol car or diesel car in 2030, whatever it is that they're talking about putting in? Why would you be doing that anyway? Don't be an idiot. Buy the cheaper car that's better. Um, but as for the petrol, the, my problem with that is, whilst I think it's a great idea, it would also punish the wrong people, the people that can't afford to get a new car. Like if you've got an old yeah. petrol car because that's all you can afford, you can't replace it with an old electric car because there isn't one, um, except for Nissan Leaf perhaps. But um, yeah, so you can't, that, that part is, doesn't, doesn't work so well. I don't suppose you could easily tax petrol but only for cars that are less than three years old or something, because that probably isn't possible. Um, so yeah, it's a good idea, but I don't know how they'd implement the second part of that. I think the best thing they could do is say, look, we'll do it in two years. You know, there's going to be an extra 10% tax or whatever on, on fuel in two years. You've got two years to sort yourself out. But I still don't know what you would do to get yourself out of that situation. I think, as you said, if they raise a lot of money based on this extra tax, half of which of a fuel cost is already taxed anyway. So let's say it goes to 60% or 70% or something. That extra money raised could be really good subsidies. Uh, yeah, substitute, whatever the word is. Absolutely. For... Yes, that one. Yeah, but that is helping people it, buy new electric cars that haven't got to be Nissan Leafs, you know. Yeah, half, but half price. If your budget whatever. for a car was always two thousand or less, then mm. you can't. There's nothing you can do, or you're just going to stomach a, an increased petrol bill that you couldn't afford. So um, that doesn't work so well for them. But but I suppose maybe there's other forms of e-mobility they could have they could take up. Anyway. Um, uh, and then finally, one little story. Uh, it's a bit fun. Um, so it turns out during the pandemic, people have switched towards uh, a slightly unexpected form of growing your own food. It's happening across the pond and in Devon. Um, the companies that sell mushroom home growing kits have had their sales go through the roof because it's become as many sort of craft based ideas like growing your own sourdough bread and perfecting your own cookie recipe or whatever else um has has taken off so has growing your own mushrooms once you get past the rather dull button mushroom that you can get from your average supermarket um some of the other ones are actually quite interesting visually uh and obviously if you do grow your own ones in your own house and then you eat them they're quite tasty too. So, um, yeah, it's becoming a bit of a new craze. Kind of slightly ignoring myself, I've not thought of it. Yeah, to be honest, I've not considered growing mushrooms. No. Do you like mushrooms? I, I do. I'm the only person in my family who does mind, but I do like them, yeah. Yeah, well, some of the, uh, like the shiitake mushrooms, or however you pronounce that, and um, uh, some of those ones, uh, they're quite pungent, but they're actually very nice. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I might make it my act for the week. I have a crack at that. Well, cool. Yeah, that's not how it goes. Uh, well, yeah. I'll, well, if I if, if it goes really bad, I won't be here for next week's episode because I've grown the wrong one. Um, <laughs> and that's all my news. So, uh, if you want to get onto the topic of today of the week, then be my guest. Uh, yes. So. This week's topic is the secret life of trees. Okay. So I'm going to blow you away with some stuff we're going to discuss today, but I don't think you know much about. Luckily, and to be honest, neither did I until I read this book, which is called The Secret Life of Trees. Um, there's a link, etc. It hasn't got, a ref hasn't got a referral link in the description, but we all know trees are great, fundamentally. Mm. Uh, we love trees and we hear all the time about planting new trees stop <laughs> cutting them down and generally leave them the hell alone uh, but why? What, what's so special about these lanky green things? well first of all there are planets lungs which I'm sure we all did know mm. so yeah off, off the bat uh, if you didn't have trees we wouldn't have breathable air. Um, so yeah, we'd, you know, we'd all be dead or we'd still be living in the sea. 
uh, whichever you prefer. Um, trees clean our air, uh, they remove carbon dioxide and release oxygen. So all of this so far, you know, I think we all know. Um, obviously oxygen is the thing that we need, but also they ensure water availability by catching the rain and spreading it above via its root systems. So yeah, water too, that's, an, that's another thing we need. So without trees doing this gig, um, we'd have large parts of the earth, which would simply dry out. So we would be a massive desert. And there's a bunch of advantages of why we should have trees, and we haven't even covered the climate argument at all. So give a one sentence on that. Um, we all know the climate's bad, and it'll only get badder should we continue to burn the things that eat carbon dioxide. And obviously, once we burn them, we just release all that back in the atmosphere, especially that tree has spent the last 100 years you know, storing carbon dioxide. And then we burn it in like, uh, I don't know, five minutes and off it goes. Yeah. yeah. So in short, humans will not survive without trees. Mm. Unsurprising so far. So let's have a quick look at their root systems. So roots, and another thing um, you may or may not know about trees is that they're the MVP when it comes to soil production. Majority of the Earth's soil consists of trees. Um, trees' root systems can travel anywhere from a single digit centimeter to 106 acres, uh, as found in the Pandor Forest, Utah. It's the biggest known um, root system in the world, and it's roughly 47,000 aspen trees, all connected together with a single root system over, yeah, 106 acres, which is a massive area. Mm -hmm. So why do trees have interconnecting roots? So first of all, you know, did you know that was a thing that trees connect via roots? Um, I, yes, I did know that, but I didn't know that it would all, you could have a whole forest out of one thing. I thought they just sort of effectively crossed over each other as opposed to were actually part of the same thing. Yeah, they literally connect. Um, yeah, the Pando forest is the world's biggest um, organism because of that, because it's all entirely connected. Um, yeah, so they share uh, their roots mainly because they share nutrients and information. So we're going to cover that a little bit later because that's very interesting. In short, humans would not survive without trees uh, because we'd have no soil, no oxygen mm. or water. Yeah, so we would be pretty buggered. Um, and another quick thing that I found before we move on is completely random, but the whole concept of trees dropping their leaves is a way to give nutrients back to the group, the other trees. Uh, and by doing this, the trees are basically taking a dump. They, they drop their leaves as a form of going to the toilet. Is one form of nutrient sharing, which is interesting. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's, I think it's. Uh, it does both, doesn't it? On the one hand, it it saves energy for the for the tree for the winter, so it doesn't have to keep them supported. And then also they know that. Well, they don't know, but you know, it happens to also biodegrade and feed themselves the nutrients in the ground. Yes. Um, so the next thing about trees. Um, child's mortality trees have a very hard time surviving uh, young trees live a very dangerous life uh, with seeds in particular having a very low survival rate so different types of trees follow different reproductive strategies um, some have small seeds that spread by the wind others like oak trees have larger seeds which are transported with the help of animals stuff like squirrels who go and bury some and then forget where they are and then they turn into trees stuff yeah. like that so seeds often end up some somewhere by chance and that somewhere may not be the best somewhere and yeah nothing happens if that's the case yeah so on average over the course of a tree's life uh which could be hundreds of years um it will only raise one child 
to adulthood on average. That's absolutely mental when I first found that out. Mm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, very much is. So yeah, the general rule is if a tree makes it to one year old, it is very likely to survive to a hundred. It's the first year is the toughest. So child, uh, child mortality is a big problem for trees, which is why they spread thousands of seeds, hoping just one of them will succeed. Okay. Okay, so now we get in stuff that uh, I think is uncharted territory that I didn't know a lot about at all. And first of all, trees have personalities. No way. Okay, so, so before we go with this one, um, maybe this is a little bit of um, anthropomorphism. However, the author of The Hidden Life of Trees argues it's more than that. There are some reasons to back this up. It's very much an untouched area. There's a lot more research needs to be done. But the idea is that trees um, have or may have a vibrant inner life um, and they aren't so different from us. They have individual personalities. Um, they benefit from a good night's sleep and they do other things we have never considered. So when we stick to the personality side of things, we can see a variance between individual trees of the same or different species. Some may be seen as anxious, some may be seen as bold. For example, uh, how long a tree holds on to its leaves once autumn starts, um, a more careful tree could just be careful and wait. Um, and the longer a tree holds its leaves, the more photosynthesis it can do, the more nutrients it can gather, etc. Mm -hmm. However, the longer it has its leaves into the winter, the more chance it can get hurt. Uh, the more chance of frost or a freeze will take hold, um, damage the leaves, hurt the tree, and in turn, you know, cause more damage than it's worth it. Okay. So trees decide on when to shred, uh, shed their leaves based on the personality that they have. And they tend to learn from experience. A tree which keeps its leaves too long will not make that mistake again. And there, there are studies on this, which is pretty cool. I've got lots of links in the description, so please check them out. But not only does a tree remember it also has the experience to remember mistakes and learn from them. So we're, we're un, it's really unclear whether or not this is scientifically accurate because obviously we're still studying this. Um, some of these could just be um, anthropomorphized as we've discussed. But yeah, it's thought that these experiences and memories are stored in the sensitive tips of the tree's roots. So I won't go more into depth of this, there are links to check out. But yeah, right now, let's just take personality with a pinch of salt. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. We need to do more research. So, okay. Trees can also chat. So, okay, now we're up in the ante a little bit. A tree has a personality, okay, but it can also have a chat. Uh, and this one is more scientifically true. This one has a lot more studies because we can detect communication between trees and not just trees, but also other creatures. So this happens from two different methods, one using scent and another one using what we can call the tree email, which is a very interesting topic. Electrical signals? Basically, yeah. So... For scent, uh, different situations allow a tree to release different pheromones. Uh, for example, an elm tree can stop a caterpillar infestation by releasing a scent which attracts a species of tiny wasp and these wasps lay their eggs in the caterpillars which hatch and eat the caterpillars and in turn end in the infestation. Clever tree. Mm. Uh, and trees can also determine which creature is eating them by tasting that creature's saliva. So as surprising as that may sound, uh, trees know when a deer has eaten their leaves and which type of automatic, and it has a certain type of automated chemical response for certain creatures. So for deers, 
And this was studied by German scientists um, with young beech trees. And basically the plants responded to predation, which they understood, but they wanted to tell if the plants responded differently to different predators and other factors such as storms, damage by wind, etc., or just simply being stood on. Uh, yeah, it turns out the trees can tell the difference. Uh, the scientists discovered that deer saliva was the key. Uh, once the deer fed on leaves, the you know, saliva left behind sends a chemical signal to the tree cells and they increase production of salic acid. That acid is a hormone then which tells the tree to deposit more bad testing chemicals such as tannins in its leaves, which increases the amount of growth hormone to make more leaves. In turn, it basically makes the, tea, the tree, uh, the leaves taste bad. So the deer stops eating them, specifically for deers. Yeah. It responds to them, which is, it's pretty cool. Very like, cool. I, no idea that was a thing. So you might be saying, very clever tree. Um, and yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, tree email. So let's raise that bar a little bit further. There's a concept of a tree intranet. <laughs> and I think I, you've already alluded to this of talking about electrical signals. And we also talked about those uh, 47,000 trees all connected by one root system. Um, so let's explain a bit more. Trees can broadcast like email uh, over their own internet of electrical pulses. For example, once a caterpillar starts munching a leaf, uh, a leaf itself can send out a signal which travels along the fibers at a breakneck speed of one centimeter per minute. So as you mentioned earlier, there's 47,000 trees hooked into the tree internet in the Utah Pandor Forest. Uh, they'll all hear about that caterpillar eventually. <laughs> Over all 106 acres. Wow. Uh, so one thing that does speed up the connection speeds is, as we talked about earlier, <coughs> fungus. Underground, almost every tree is linked by countless fungal threads, which act to transmit those electrical signals much more quickly. Some trees can send specific signals to the fungi and inform other trees nearby about insects or drought as examples but in general danger, it could alert to many more other things too. So there's a lot about tree psychology, if you wanna call it that, that we don't quite understand how it all works, but we do know some things do happen. So we do know a tree internet exists. Um, we don't know fully why, we assume it's a survival thing, but there's a lot more research needs to happen. But yeah, even responding to DS saliva specifically mm -hmm. is, uh, is mental. Okay, um, so trees have friends. So this is the next step. So right now, you know what? trees are clever. All right, I was, I was really up to this point. They got friends, come on. They do. Um, uh, yeah, so trees are at least more clever than we would normally give them credit. Um, but trees can also help each other out for the benefits of the ecosystem. So the abilities it already has, it uses these to the best betterment of the entire forest. So a group of trees, so they can all be there together. So besides warning of potential dangers via the, the fungi internet, it can also broadcast different types of scents. So we can choose which scents to broadcast depending on the danger. For example, umbrella arcadias, uh, which are a common favorite for the giraffe in the African savanna, can, within minutes of a chomp, release a poison in its leaves. Uh, at the same time, emit a warning gas, which is ethanol, to alert other trees within a hundred meter radius of the pending attack. So that's that's also pretty mental, right? And so the cool thing about this is. Yeah, it's, it's telling all the trees around it that this danger is around us. Watch out. All right, but they're not, they're not singing that. I'm not, I'm not going to tell Bob because he's an ass. 
I won't tell him. I'm only no. going to go over there. No, right. So they're, they're frames with all their neighbours, is what you're saying? Yes. They are yeah. for community. They're oh. a family. Well, it's a family. Please oh. are families, then. Um, yeah, but the cool thing about this is the giraffes, they know this game. They know pretty well. Uh, within minutes of this, they head off to a tree that's roughly a, over 100 metres away. Or they go to trees upwind uh, and continue eating. So giraffes are smarter than trees, maybe. Yeah. I would assume so. Yeah. So they know this game. But yeah, I mean, the, the fact that the trees are doing that is mental. I can't remember what that film is called, the M. Night Shyamalan film. See that one where the trees release a pheromone that drives people, humans, uh, mental, and they start killing themselves. No. It's called okay. The Happening. The Happening. Recommended right. watching. It's a good film. Okay. Uh, it's basically in a way to prevent climate disaster, trees taken upon themselves yeah. to start releasing pheromones that start killing humans. Sweet. And the tr- <laughs> so the trees themselves obviously don't do anything, but this pheromone just makes people crazy and they start killing themselves. Really cool film. If trees could do that, yeah, that would be absolutely terrifying. But just the fact that, you know, in the film, for example, it just shows a couple of trees outside the window blowing happily in the wind. And it's like, close the windows. <laughs> <laughs> just, being, just being afraid of a tree in your garden. But it kind of gives you a good feeling that, um, I mean, that could actually happen. And the stuff we're talking about now, we don't fully understand. But, we, you know, it can, it can outsmart some giraffes for a few, few minutes. It can, you know, differentiate deers. That's why we use this. saws, isn't it? So that they can't tell us us. Because if, 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 we, if, we if, if we hit it with our bare hands, you know, we'd, we'd tell it that it was us, you know, and they would, they would know and they'd go, ah, so pesky human types. But. Yeah, I, I suppose we're, we're just too new. Um, the evolution of trees is very slow. So, yeah, eventually they'll get smart to us. Just, you know. I, well, there you go. That's the answer. Perhaps. What we do, right, is we go around and uh, it's going to be some, we're going to have to like hurt some trees in the process, unfortunately. There's no other way around it. But what we have to do is basically, is you wipe your hand on the tree first, right, so that it can get your chemicals off your hands and then attack it with an axe. Don't kill it. But just attacking it with the axe, and then it will it'll associate that damage with your hand, and then it might sort of start doing something to combat you. We don't know what it's going to be yet. It might send us mad, but we just have to go around to all different types of species of tree and go. It's I'm human. Whack 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 whack. <laughs> I'm bad. Well, whack. <laughs> oh yeah, we do have, have touching helps. I mean, you might need a you know a sucker leaf. So it, it uh, can some, we have to give some sort of chemical. Yeah, we could spit on the tree. It doesn't really matter. But <laughs> well, spit as you as you're cutting it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bang. But yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure making well, these hate humans is necessarily the best idea. But no, I mean we kept trees down for a long time, so it'll get smart to us eventually. I assume. You know, I don't suppose we've been killing them as long as giraffes have. So let's see what happens. But yeah, with the whole trees have friends situation, um, trees also care about their friends or family or however you want to see it. Um, they take care of the sick by providing extra nutrients. So for example, there's uh, cases of old tree stumps which have rotted a long time ago and they've become topsoil, which is an indication that stump was felled over 400 years ago. So this stump itself still has wood on the outside, which is still living. So obviously this stump has no way to produce nutrients. It has no leaves, branches, to have synthesis. So the only possible reason it's still um, living is because it's nourished by its neighbors. So again, when you dig down to the root systems, these trees are often connected. Um, so going back to that Pandor forest again, got some weak trees, maybe some have been hurt, damaged, broken in the wind. Chances are they're still alive because they've been um, nutriently fed by their neighbours, by the rest of the family in the forest. For what end, though? That's the question. Well, what? again, we don't know. Because I don't realise... Uh, I suppose... Maybe it doesn't realise it's dead. Maybe it doesn't realise it's been chopped off. Maybe it just thinks it's, been, it's broken and therefore it needs help. 
exactly. Maybe he just thinks he's sick. Maybe maybe the trees take, you know, 400 years to figure out what's wrong. But it's been keeping this thing alive for 400 years. And obviously he has no idea it's a stump. But that's, that's you know, that's not, that's not like, you know, attack trees too much. They haven't exactly got brains. You know, they are simple organisms in a sense. But yes. they are probably more complex than we've ever given credit for. And yeah. I imagine we'll find a lot more as things go on. Yeah, so these findings um, does shift the perspective, the perception rather, of a tree uh, as individuals towards understanding forests as ecosystems. And yeah, as I mentioned, the panda forest is a super organism, the biggest organism in the world. So yeah, so far, does this all make sense? That trees are pretty smart to be given credit for. Yes, I mean, I think you are anthropomorph anthropomorph that word um, them a bit a lot actually. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's like where we have neurons in our brain, they have essentially chemical neurons. They the if you think of it as a generation, the the the, the years and years of generations have evolved to respond to this if you do that do this if you do that and all they're doing is responding to a chemical input and then adjusting it's no it's a, a very slow version of you know that uh venus fly fly trap thing where if you mm. touch a venus fly trap it won't move first time but the second time it, it does it's you know it's it's learned to, to to essentially count those two before it catches the fly because it's trying to get something inside it to quarter around and then go oh now you're definitely in bang um yeah. so yeah it's not it's not a brain it's not thinking it doesn't actually have a personality but i do believe that um it'll have its own chemical makeup because it's unique just like we are um and that adjustment will make make some do that rather than this and then they'll adjust if it work if it doesn't work out yeah I mean, that, that trial and error, learning from mistakes, has experiences, has memory of some sort is, you know, is, is fascinating. Hmm. How it, where or not it constitutes a, a real personality, obviously nowhere near as complex as us, but the fact that some trees are bold, some are careful, uh, that's evident even by neighboring trees. That type of stuff is um, very interesting. Hmm. I see it as being kind of aggressive until the chemical adjustment means that you need to be less aggressive as in maybe you start off aggressive while you're trying to to grow and then as as things get worse you, you have frostbites you go okay we'll we'll break that down a little bit reduce that chemical input mm -hmm. and then adjust that way that's how i see it uh yeah okay fair enough um yeah one one actually i cut out from here but i want to talk about now because it's actually quite interesting too is uh, trees can also work alongside uh, the fungus that can grow near or on it and that fungus helps the trees absorb more nitrogen and water mm -hmm. and whenever nitrogen falls below a certain level within the fungus the fungus can basically talk with the tree and together they can release um can't exactly what it releases some sort of pheromones or some sort of toxin that kills nearby organisms so small animals, insects, that type of stuff, we get killed by this. Right. And they, they die, they degrade in the soil, and they've released their nitrogen from their body, which then increases the nitrogen in the tree and the fungus. So it's very much, you know, it's, again, that system is probably very slow, but yeah. it's just the fact that they can decide to, yeah, I'm low on nitrogen, let's just kill everything around me, I don't know. 10 centimeters and that should give me enough nitrogen mm. that, that type of stuff is pretty cool yeah but um okay moving on trees can feel pain so maybe not so um out there really considering what we've just discussed so besides caterpillars and giraffes trees can suffer many different types of attacks which you can perceive as painful Trees have developed strategies for dealing with these dangers. Uh, for example, spruce trees have arranged their branches so that when strained by snow, they bend downwards, uh, virtually lying on top of each other to prevent breaking or snapping branches. And they, again, they've done this, they've learned to do this effectively over thousands, millions of years. 
uh, survival strategy. But trees seem to have built in survival mechanisms to avoid injury, damage, that type of stuff. So again, feeling pain, perhaps not, but they do have uh, desires not to get hurt, especially in the consists of if they are hurt, like an open injury, obviously they can't get um, bacterial infections, I guess, but they can get uh, fungus infections. So bad fungus can get in an open tree wound. And the bad thing is that once that's in, that's it. Even if that tree manages to heal itself, it won't live for longer than 100 years. So again, mm. it'll, it'll still live, but it will die very slowly. But yeah, once that fungus is in, there's nothing you can do. That's it. Mm -hmm. So a tree, against all what it can do, prevents injuries, prevents breakages. So that's what the spruce trees does, does the whole thing with the snow. So it doesn't snap a branch. And yeah, hypothetically can survive to continue, keep on going. So again, feels pain, doesn't feel pain. Whatever it does, it avoids injury. And it seems to know that's the case. So finally, um, this is a lot of this information comes from the book, The Hidden Life of Trees. And the author of that book makes the argument that all trees should be treated like animals. So that's quite a jump in thinking, perhaps. Um, but yeah, the argument is made quite poignantly. Most of us see trees as simple things that don't do a lot. Um, unfortunately, that image is outdated. Um, hopefully now we can see there's a different side to the humble tree. It, it can do a lot more than perhaps we thought. Uh, my action here is to call for the end of typical wood foresting. Um, the typical wood foresting is highly damaging. Uh, trees are normally felled when they reach 100 years old. Uh, but some of these trees and some of these types of trees, like beech trees, for example, um, are not sexually mature until the age of 80 to 150. So they can't create others yet. And killing these older trees permanently damage a forest. And as we discussed, um, yeah, these trees are critical sources of sharing and they're one of the community. Mm -hmm. So natural foresting is the answer. Um, one which mimics a natural forest condition and only removes trees which fulfill their role in the ecosystem. So if we considered that trees have children, parents, uh, grandparents, uh, before we cut them down, maybe we would think differently. And yeah, that's what I'd like to leave with you. Trees are not fully understood. From what we see, they do a lot more than we thought. Maybe we should trust a tree and leave it be. And if you can, plant more and nurture them for at least a year. Yeah, so what do you think? Uh, you learned some stuff about trees. I did learn some stuff. Uh, I was worried at the beginning because I thought, yeah, I knew that trees are lungs of the, of the planet. I think, but, the, but no, I definitely didn't know. I mean, it all makes sense. I didn't know they could do quite that much stuff, though. The fact they've learned all these little techniques over all these years and they're just sort of hidden little gems that they've got. Oh, if this happens, do this. There's, yeah, there could be all sorts of things. It also kind of makes it, and that's the wrong way to look at it, considering you just told me to sort of, you know, look at it as like animals, but it does also mean that you can, to some extent, you could probably train a tree. <clears throat> Not sure why you would, but... Um, Over hundreds and thousands, maybe even millions of years, yeah. <laughs> yeah, possibly, yeah, it might take a while. Um, but, um, like, cause I, I know they've, well, I'm working on not necessarily train it, but to take advantage of um, its uh, of of those little rules that it's already got. So, um, how could you use that? Like, for example, like if you wanted if you wanted to encourage more trees, but maybe a certain type of tree grows um, in a way that doesn't really fit very well, then you know, could you train mm. that tree by um, taking the leaves off the lower branches so that it sort of abandons those branches and then pushes higher or, or in that sort of thing or um, if you needed um, nitrogen if it was short on nitrogen could you 
if you know it's going to do that, then could you deliberately plant other types of products um, next to it or or the fungus next to it, knowing that it's going to be able to communicate with the fungus? Could you then pass a message to the fungus, which will then pass on to the tree? You know, just to sort of take advantage of that in a in a way that allows us to coexist a bit better. Maybe my tree. Oh, yeah, I mean, hypothetically, if we could tap into that, uh, you know, the tree internet and send our own electrical signals, like, uh, I don't know, um, there's no danger here or something. I, I don't know. Whatever, whatever like, we want to say to the entire forest. Yeah. Like, like the desertification problem. Like, we're trying to undesertify. Um, if you, if you mm. could have a few, um, uh, you plant some trees on the edge and tell it somehow that life's great, um, you know, go aggressive, throw as many seeds as you can. You could do something to encourage the tree to produce more seeds that year, you know, that sort of thing. And then you could actually work with the tree. So look, don't worry. I know you don't have what you think you want, need right now, but I will provide it for you. So just trust me, you're gonna have the water you need. Doesn't look like it, but you will. So just produce more seeds and then I will water you. And then that way you could um, fast forward the re-desertification or whatever the word is, undesertification of desert. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that'll work. Yeah, maybe that's all we need to do is um, kind of like fake it till you make it with the trees. Like tell them everything is fine. Don't worry, I got your back. Uh, go forth and multiply years, you know, like I love them. Not going to really do much for a year anyway. But once they get about a year, they start getting these abilities. And yeah, the root systems are primarily what grows in the first year. A tree might not be very big, but the root system could be massive. Um, yeah, I mean, we could probably do. I don't know. It, it kind of brings a lot of interesting ideas. Like in a forest, you could effectively ask, ask the forest which trees are no longer needed, which ones can we take? Could you uh, stop giving nutrients to the ones you think are useless, basically? And whichever trees have done have leaves in the spring, they're the ones we cut down. Yeah, you could probably do stuff like that. Yeah, or you could you could at least detect the one that where it um, where it thinks a tree is sick. You can pick up that signal mm. and go. Well, it thinks this tree over here is is dying, so we'll take that one. And that way, you are like yeah, the forest. Assuming that's the right thing to do, because yeah, maybe maybe it's protecting our one because it's the grandfather who knows all the stuff. It's got the memory in the root systems because yeah, the part of the memories and experiences are stored in the, the sensitive ends of the roots themselves, which could very well be connected to the entire forest. So you cut that guy down, his roots die, and then the forest has forgotten something. Mm -hmm. So again, very interesting there. Like which yeah. which tree happens to know about the deer's saliva? I assume they all do because I imagine be genetic memory at that point. But you know, that'd be, that'd be cool. Like, um, I don't know, if a tree has learned humans are dangerous and it's gonna take a million years to tell everyone else, but we keep killing it, so we'll never know. We we could find the smartest tree, um, and then like just plant it. <laughs> plant it in the middle of a forest, and then like just connect everybody up. Go, there you go, guys. You've just I've just downloaded a whole new skill. This is how you deal with deers. Go. Or just upload them. Just, just yeah. put a USB in a in a tree. Yeah, why not? <laughs> no, um, I think... here's a here's five here's five hundred million years of uh, evolution tree. <laughs> I feel like I'm already trying to abuse the system, so maybe I should shut up. But um, I mean, we could probably help them. The whole yeah, electric signal has moved one centimeter per minute, so we could probably speed that up. It's like uh, Oh, let's let's upgrade that for you. <laughs> at, le at least you could like talk faster. We'll just plant a ton of fungus for them and go. There you go. Use the use the fungus root. Fungus yeah. No, very cool. Very cool. Just, I don't know. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Hopefully we've learned something. And uh, yeah, if you haven't seen the film The Happening, uh, where trees turn on us and kill us all, have a look. It's got um, something of five or ten IMDb, but two thousand eight. M. Shyamalan, recommended, interesting film. Other than that, yeah, stop killing trees and maybe plant some. Great. Well, on that, That's all I got. Beautiful bombshell. Um, 
Time to end. Uh, that is a joke. It's time to end. Um, thanks very much for watching. Uh, and we will see you next week. Um, remember to think, educate, and act. That's what I was supposed to say. <laughs> Till next time. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.